Welcome on and all to episode 171 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, we're, uh, we're watching the last undefeated NFL team. Well, maybe, maybe be, uh, be gone by the time this show gets put out. The Eagles struggling against the Commanders, but... We also have a ton of college football and NFL draft stuff to talk about after another hectic college football weekend with, well, some crazy takes that look really bad right after they happened. And now uh, we get, you know, now we're getting Mel Kuyper into the fold, which is always interesting, right? I mean, Mel Kuyper is... uh... I mean, is is he? He's old enough that we can say he's like the granddaddy of draft next, right? But um, the notable thing that came out of this weekend is is the Will Levis stuff because we've you and I have talked about Will Levis. We're not as high on him. Um, our we put our quarterback rankings out there a few weeks ago. I think that was bonus episode seventy eight. You can check that out. It's it's free on iTunes. We um, took that off of Patreon and, and threw it onto the main feed. But you can check it out. We, we're we not high on Will Levis. Will Levis is the number three overall player for PFF's uh, draft Nick guru, PFF Mike, Mike Renner. And then uh, Mel Kuyper put it out there this weekend that he's, you know, he's got C.J. Stroud as his number one quarterback, but he expects Will Levis to be his eventual quarterback won, right? But then Will Levis goes out and loses to Vanderbilt, who had lost 26 SEC games in a row. And and uh, there's issues there with turnovers. Uh, Levis has turned the ball over quite a bit lately. He, he uh, threw no touchdowns, one pick. And the other thing is the negative rushing yards are piling up. So... We keep hearing the comparisons of Will Levis to Josh Allen and and the tools and the athleticism, but this athleticism is not canceling out the negative plays in this case. You've got uh, an extreme case where Levis is just not having a good year, and Kentucky is starting to crumble after a good start. It, It has not been pretty. I know he got banged up. He missed the game, but it's not pretty. He lost to Vanderbilt, Seth. I mean, anytime you can make a declaration that guy's going to be quarterback one, he backs it up and goes and loses to Vandy. You've got, I mean, it's tough not to see where he where he fits. Um, you know, the Levis stuff. I talked about it earlier. I I've said before. He really reminds me a lot of of Blake Bortles and I know he'll probably be a little more athletic but honestly Bortles was pretty athletic right uh, Levis might be a little faster foot speed wise but it's not helping him yeah and, and that's what I'm saying is like and and Bortles was like one of those guys that I know the sneaky athleticism's funny, but like he's one of those guys that also um he he moved kind of like Big Ben early in his career. Remember like 
being six five and two what you know two twenty five two thirty whatever he was, and then seeing him be able to like move around the pocket, use that size, and then you know make moves and, and get out of the pocket. Um, it was it was interesting. Levis, I think, has a better arm, like just a stronger arm overall. But he takes a lot of the same effort throws, if if you will. And and you know, we talked about that way back in the day with Bortles, right? And and you, you know, I was a big Bortles fan. And one of the things that you liked about that was you're like, hey, he's playing at, you know, UCF. They're a little bit undermanned in terms of talent around him. Um so you like to see him try to do a little more, right? To to be the guy that that makes the plays, um, and Levis is the same way. And so, one of the things that's changed for me in my just time over the last you know decade of doing this basically is that I don't appreciate those uh, type of risky plays because what I've learned is that once it's ingrained in them to take those risks, it's really hard for them to pull back and not make the same throws when they get to the NFL. And all of a sudden, your lack of arm strength or your lack of uh, understanding these windows closing quicker, it it ends up being a hindrance to your ability rather than a a boost to what you were doing. And I think there are guys that are uh, anomalies, and and those are guys that have incredible arm strength, like a Josh Allen, right. where we've seen or, or him. Patrick Mahomes, right? Or Pat or, Mahomes, yeah. You know, Aaron Rodgers, who yeah, er- earlier who eventually developed yeah. kind of pinpoint accuracy. But um, we're we're seeing it with Herbert right now. He's not necessarily getting away with it. Right, and, you know, it just makes it tough, man, to look at it and say this is this is what the best, you know, way to go about it is. And, and for Levis, it's always been about his – it's always been about his demeanor and his kind of odd swag that he has, his, his – hubris in in how he plays and i think that endears him to a lot of people and there's nothing wrong with any of that like i'm not saying any of this stuff as a negative but i think it allows it it causes people to maybe be okay um with with mistakes or to create excuses for guys that you you normally wouldn't yeah, it's that, uh, you know, Herb Street has always talked about the intangibles with Will Levis. And you and I have talked about the quirky personality things, you know, eating the banana with the peel on it, eating that, drinking the mayonnaise coffee and that kind of thing. And, but that kind of stuff, it's not going to carry you into the NFL. Um, I want to throw this out here, a couple stats that I tweeted out the other day for, for those uh, listeners who don't follow me on Twitter. I want to put it out there. 
He had 11 completions against Vanderbilt. That was the lowest, um, the fewest completions he's had in a game since week five of 2021 against Florida. In the last four games, Levis has four touchdowns, five interceptions. And uh, I mentioned the negative rushing yards, negative 123 rushing yards on a season. That means, again, that his athleticism is not canceling out those negative plays, those sacks. And that's something that when you look at Josh Allen, when you look at at a uh, Patrick Mahomes, that didn't happen with those guys. They were able to produce enough on the ground as scramblers to negate a lot of those negative plays. You can talk about Will Levis' supporting cast and whatnot, but that's a concern. It's got to be PFF had him as the number three overall player in this class ahead of CJ Stroud. I don't I think that's you know faulty. I, I don't agree with them. And, and the funny um, thing is this isn't even you being a uh a homer for Ohio State because you're not no, that high I, on CJ Stroud. I've it's been just that critical think, Stroud, right? Yeah, it's just that you think that poorly of of Will Levis that it, it and not even like poorly, it's just that you can't just say, well, tools, 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 and, and throw a guy that high up on the board unless you just think this is just a terrible class. Yeah, and it might be. I mean, and, and that's something be. we can we can say about well, maybe it. Our, maybe that's a segue. Right. And so, you know, it's just an interesting dynamic to see that it's already starting when you when you look at it and you, you just don't see it. Um, and and like you said, that takes us to the next conversation, and that's about a guy who we both like. We both think's a good player, uh, Jalen Carter of Georgia. Um, you know, he's. I think there's a couple things about Jalen Carter this year. One is he's missed a lot of time, right? And it's it's been one of those situations where, um, you know, he hasn't produced as much as you would have expected right uh in in eight games this year the the georgia defensive tackle has um 17 total tackles three and a half tackles for loss and two sacks he's also got one pass defense i think the most impressive thing has been his two forced fumbles this year right in in eight games so not too bad for for the uh what is probably the best team in the country in Georgia? You know, he's so so he's missed two games for Georgia. Um, the last two games he's come on, and, and we can have that debate, right? Were those those injuries early in the season? Do you think that played a part into him? Maybe not being as explosive, uh, maybe not being able to do things that we expect or some expected him to do, but. It's always an interesting dynamic when you start to see things like this player is the best player in a class. And those takes are starting to come out about Jalen Carter. You know, after after he's had his two best games of the season, um, you know, the last two weeks, it, you know, against Tennessee and Mississippi State, Carter has uh, 11 tackles, 
three and a half tackles for loss and and so all three and a half tackles for loss and both sacks this season so that's been two games um before that he had six tackles on the season not tackles for loss six tackles yeah on the season so so I that's think it, it's yeah i think that you're what you're talking about is a little bit of recency bias bias bleeding in to the equation right um but to me it's not even the production necessarily because i know like we we can't look at these guys and and um you know we've got we i I should say we have to look at these guys in within the scheme that they're playing right and it's clear that he's very much important to georgia's defense like many people feel like he's the guy who creates production for other other players but um the, to me it's more like a reactionary thing in my brain where it just never fails we do this all the time draftniks love at some point to be you know very i don't i don't want to make it sound condescending cuz that's not what i'm trying to do but you know it's it's very smart to say at some point oh the defensive tackle is the best player in the class because i know how to watch film right um instead of some players who might be more you know uh, not at a premium position and um playing better right like Bijan Robinson are is is Jalen Carter better a better player than Bijan Robinson is Jalen Carter a better player than um than Paris Johnson for example a guy we talked about on our Patreon show a couple weeks ago a, a, a player who projects very well as a left tackle and has played very well is he better than uh Will Anderson, who had an, an otherworldly Heisman type season, is he better than these quarterbacks? Or um it just to me it 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 just kind of reeks of trying to uh, of one upsmanship when you're saying that this guy we talked about it off the air and it, when people were saying Quinnen Williams was better than Nick Bosa a couple of years ago. Is he? I mean, has that panned out? Does it ever pan out? And and one when I go back to like what defensive tackle was the best player in the class? Maybe it was Aaron Donald back in I think 2014, but nobody was saying it back then. Not a single person. Aaron Donald went like 13th overall. Right, and that's the thing is like we talk about this all the time. You can't chase a unicorn. And and Aaron Donald was a unicorn. And I think the first thing that people get wrong about chasing an Aaron Donald is that all these guys are way bigger than Aaron Donald was coming out like way bigger like Donald was what six foot 280 right and and but also a complete freak show athlete um, right and we've so, only so, seen one guy uh comparable to him over the last few years and it was the guy from Louisiana Tech who the Eagles picked up who hasn't done anything right um aaron donald is a a complete like you said he's a unicorn and this is uh what are you gonna do with with jenna carter i mean are you gonna play him in a scheme where he's now gonna be an aaron donald type pass rusher then that might be interesting to see is is jalen carter is as athletic as jordan davis 
who was we compared to, uh, jokingly to a grizzly bear. It doesn't appear that he actually will be. So so then what? I, I just don't. I it's not that I think he's not a good player. I think he is a very good player in this class, but I don't think he's better than you know Will Anderson or a better prospect than Keely Ringo or a better prospect than maybe even like Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. You know, at premium at a premium position, a quarterback or or Bijan Robinson. I just to me, it just feels like a reach. It feels like, um, I just it just feels like a little phony. People are trying to manufacture a take, and you know, I I hate to say it like that because it makes me sound like I'm being harsh on people, but it just seems like a repeat mistake. If that makes sense. And let me ask you this, because this is something we always talk about, especially with chain, you know, going to the NFL. Um, does it concern you that Jalen Carter plays about 26 snaps a game? Um, it, it, I mean, it would normally, but, um, and that's kind of my whole beef with interior defensive line in general. But I think with him this year specifically, we have to look at how much that is because of the early season injury. That was last year. Okay. And and because this year, you know, I know PFF when they put out their top 100, when they put out uh, Mike Renner's top 100, they acknowledged he's he had only played 123 uh, snaps the entire season up to that point. Yeah, played and quite I mean, a bit more. Um, the last know, two games, yeah, the last two he's... games, right? But that that's kind of my whole issue with this is like, why are why do draft next treat running backs as this expendable position um, when defensive tackles often when they get to the NFL play 20 to 30% of snaps to me, that's that tells me that's not a premium position. And why are you putting that guy in the top five? So is this a conversation of this class isn't as good as we were hoping, or are we just overhyping Jalen Carter? And it's not, and like you said, it's not that we think he's bad, but like, no, I think are, he's really good. Actually, I just he think a, he's he plays a position that's not a premium to me. Well, and that's the thing is like, you know, going back to the Conan Williams thing, you know, he he's got twenty two and a half career sacks, um, which isn't bad. That's pretty four, good. That's yeah, pretty good. Four in four seasons, seasons and you know, from the interior, yeah, it's pretty good. And that's so he's averaging about six a season, and again from the interior that's not bad. But and like, this season's only half done, you know. Right, and so yeah, he can he can go even further. But like when you look at the guys drafted in front of him, um, or not in front of him, I guess behind him, he is um, actually sixth on the list of 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 sacks in the class and then guys like uh draymond jones and and um jeffrey simmons are right behind him and simmons missed an entire season right um, and draymond jones wasn't um he was a third round pick. athletically and was a third yeah. round pick right um it 
I wasn't a homer. I had Quentin Williams ranked ahead of Draymond Jones coming out. Um, but yeah, I think you're you're getting to you know some of the question marks in this thing, and and it's just to me there there was never a question unless you were like super super concerned about the injury history. There was never a question that Nick Bosa was a superior prospect to Quentin Williams. But the thing I'll say about Quentin Williams, at least he was he was more productive as a collegiate pass rusher than Jalen Carter has been. And I get it. You know, you can tell me, watch the tape, X's and O's scheme, all of that I understand. But you have to... I just think like to proclaim a guy as the number one player in the class because he pushes the pile or because he walks back a guard or a center who's maybe going to be a backup at best at the NFL level. It's just premature. It's it's and it's something that why it bothers me so much is it's something we do every single year and nobody ever has to answer the question for about it. Yeah, and you know, that's I think that's my biggest thing too, is like like you said, like I, I, I'll never forget there were a number and, and whether or not you you agree with drafting Kyler Murray's doesn't really matter, but there was a number of people that thought Quentin Williams should have been the first pick in the draft. And literally there was only one other option and that was Nick Bosa. It was Nick like, Bosa. Who should like, have been the first player of the draft, by the way. It, <laughs> and and so that's and so that's it. Like that's the thing that you look at is that. And 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 by the way, let me take the L on this because there was a point where I, you know, I had no, I I did not understand Kyler Murray going that high at all. You know, we can sit here. That's probably for another show where we, we debate if he was worth the first overall pick. But I thought like this guy should just go play baseball. And that, yeah. that's a stupid take, you know, revisiting that. That's a stupid take. He's obviously, he's done very well for himself in but, football. But right. Anyway, but that's I want to get that like, out there because I, I don't want to sound like I'm crapping on everybody else and I don't have bad takes. I do. Well, but, and, but that's the thing is like there literally wasn't a conversation and there were, there were veteran Arizona Cardinals beat writers and like just writers in general that were trying to spin, hey, you have to draft Quentin Williams because you have to get somebody like Aaron Donald. And it's like, well, then why are you drafting Quentin Williams? Because those two aren't even in the same stratosphere of a play type. And and again, that's not a shot on Quentin Williams. It's just the reality of the situation. And And when people do that, and I made fun of people for this, and literally I lost, I want to say, 800 followers on Twitter in that in that stretch uh during the 2019 nfl draft because i was making fun of people that were saying well you have to draft quinn williams he's the next aaron donald and i was i would just straight up tell him like you're an idiot like literally <laughs> you're an idiot like he's you're not the next direct than i would be you know i try and be but well, i get it because yeah. you you can only be so you can only say, hey, you know, they're not even the same type of player. Aaron Donald was, you know, like we said, a freak athlete. He was doing this and that. Well, how do you know Quentin Williams won't do that? Have you watched him play? 
Like that's and that's the thing is, but because a beat writer or a guy with a big audience will make a comparison, ill-advised comparison, then it becomes, you know, then it becomes gospel, and people just they just go with it. And and this goes way way back. I mean, like I said, Aaron Donald was what twenty fourteen. It's not like you and you and I. Well, I can't remember. Uh, speaking for myself, I'll say this: I didn't say Aaron Donald was the number two overall player in the draft or number not one at overall all. player in the draft. That was the year. No, Jadavian uh, Clowney was coming out right, and and uh, I didn't say that. Uh, I had uh, my good friend uh, Brendan Leister, who used to work with me at DraftBrowns.com way back in the day. He was one of the few guys I knew who who really was touting Aaron Donald as a top five type of pick. And, but most people were focused on the quarterbacks that year. That was Bortles, Manziel, uh, Bridgewater. Most people were really focused, hyper-focused on the quarterbacks and the receivers, Sammy Watkins, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, I think Mike Evans was that year as well. So you had all these fantastic players coming out of this draft. Some didn't pan out, but many of them did. and. And nobody was saying Aaron Donald, who might, you know, looking back, might be one of the top two, one or two players in that class. Nobody was saying he was the number one guy. And it's almost, that's, that's, it goes back to why I have this like reflexive issue with this because. Well, it's because people are always, always trying to make up. They're trying to make up for lost time, right? And And it doesn't work that way. Well, and that's the thing too, is like, that's a, would, kind of a good segue into the next thing. <laughs> right. And so next we talk about uh these all-stars, right? And and the all-star invites are starting to uh kind of trickle out. And the accepted invites are what are more important, so to speak. And I think the first thing that's been really intriguing is that we talked about this last year. Uh, with the Shrine game, the Senior Bowl is obviously the big boy on the block in terms of the uh, end-of-season kind of all-star experience. But Eric Galco and his staff with the Shrine game, who, you know, full disclosure, we have friends that work for the Shrine Bowl, Um, not even, like, contacts or anything like that, like just straight-up friends that work for the Shrine Bowl. you know, we were But objectively in, speaking, they're trying to compete. Yeah, and, and we knew they would. We knew that the the first thing that they would sell was That was something we we kind of speculated on and then they you know, contacted us and confirmed it. Well, and and yeah. let's just be honest, the first thing they did was put it in Las Vegas. And they said no more, you know, well, South Florida, right? It was South Florida before. Yeah, like St. Petersburg. Yeah, yeah, St. Peter's. I mean, Central, like Gulf Coast type, which was, I loved going there. I mean, I, I go there like twice a year, but um, Vegas is certainly, that was our first clue that they were going for the gold, right? When they moved to Vegas, we we're like, wait, they're not messing around. They're actually trying to compete. And so this year, a couple of invites have started to trickle out. Let's start at the wide receiver position. Um, both guys we like a lot. 
but uh, Boston College's Zay Flowers has accepted an invite to the Shrine Bowl. Um, interesting that, do you think they went to him first or got to him first, so to speak? Or do you think that the fact is that the Senior Bowl has their eyes on other guys? So that's that's the million-dollar question, right? Because last year we saw the Shrine go. They went, they shot for the stars, you know, which we Liter- hadn't seen literally. them do. <laughs> right. They had, we hadn't seen them do that until Eric and uh, Owen and, and these other guys who we know got involved in the Shrine. They seemed relegated to just target third to seventh round players and undrafted free agents, right? But when Eric and company got involved, when Eric Galco and company got involved, they seemed like they were they were going to offer spots to some of these players who would normally get invited to the Senior Bowl. Now, what's going to be interesting to see is do they stick with the com- commitment to the Shrine Bowl or do they ultimately flip to the Senior Bowl? We saw Jim Nagy, he got he seemed to take it personally last year. And when he would flip a guy to the senior bowl, he got kind of um I I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but I mean competitive. Let's say that. He got competitive. He he was like, Yeah, you know, basically you get on Twitter and kind of hint that he stole that guy. And and it was clear, you know, that he did in some cases. Is uh Jim Nagy gonna step in and try and steal Zay Flowers? Not sure, but what was interesting for this first this first batch of invites is there's uh, Eric and company getting Zay Flowers to the Shrine Bowl, a Power Five guy, a guy from the SC. Uh, I'm sorry, from the ACC, um, having a very good year, having a very good college career, and the big name at receiver for Jim Nagy and company was Rasheed Rice who I think leads the FBS in receiving yeah. yards, but from a group I, of five school at, at, at SMU. I think he also, yeah, in, in receiving yards and, and receiving yards per game. Um, but again, another, a group of five guy. Yeah. A, another interesting thing about him is he's drawn 17 pass interference penalties this year. I know that's not, something that gets tracked but it is something to that is really interesting to me um let me ask you this is is the rasheed rice thing and you brought him up i want to say five or six weeks ago and this isn't like a firster thing or anything like that no it's just, just the yeah, reality i was definitely not first on him you you talked about him five or six weeks ago is it that he's a more intriguing prospect that plays at a smaller school that you think has Nagy infatuated? Like, what what are the reasons behind that? Because I will say this about Zay Flowers. He checks a lot of the just-a-guy boxes that we worry about mm-hmm. um, at receiver, you know, 5'11", he, 177. Know, like he, he's supposedly a 4'4 guy, but we're not quite positive about that. He looks like... He is. He's, um, but the, the the rice thing, I think, is for one, a lot, 
Google Rasheed Rice, and the first thing that comes up is, is he Jerry Rice's son? <laughs> He's not. Um, but th- there's, um, I've talked about it with Nagy before. He's a CEO of this game. He's, he sells tickets. He gets people, he gets butts in seats. Uh, and he's quite good at that, right? So I think that's part of it. Um, there's a bit of name recognition with Rasheed Rice because of his last name that could get people to to buy in. Also, he's leading, like we said, he's leading the FBS in receiving yards. So um, there's that too. And then there's always the element of the, the NFL really steers the senior bowl who they want to see there. And we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more with the quarterbacks, but um, they might want to see Rasheed Rice. How's he going to stack up against some of the FBS uh, defense backs that they're going to get there eventually. So we'll see how this goes. Zay Flowers, I think is, uh, he's an awesome get for the Shrine Bowl. Will Nagy be able to flip him? That's a question. And that's something we've got to watch closely over the next couple of years. I think that ultimately there's going to come a point where the senior bowl is not able to flip as many guys as they have in the past. Still, They still have the prestige factor right now, but the Shrine Bowl is coming for them, and I think we'll see that with these quarterbacks coming up. And then you do, you mentioned the quarterbacks. Two big names – already in the Shrine Bowl, at least I guess big names might be a stretch in terms of where they're going to be drafted, but they're well-known names. I think it's more noteworthy that they're bigger names than the one guy who's committed to the Senior Bowl at this point. So the first one is is Clayton Toon, I think was ninth year at (laughs) Houston. No, I'm just kidding. His fifth year at Houston. Uh, Took advantage of the COVID year. Having a great year. He is, and he's had a, a great career. He's just under 11,000 yards. He should eclipse that this week. Uh, he's going to hit over 100 touchdowns in his career. The last two seasons, though, I mean, we're talking about he's going to put up close to 7,000 yards, 61 touchdowns, and eight, only 18 interceptions in, in those two seasons. Um, Clayton Toon, two weeks ago, threw for over 500 yards and seven touchdowns. And rushed for over 100 yards in a game. And I, for the life of me, could not find another instance of an FBS quarterback throwing for over 500 and rushing for over 100 in a single game. It's not something Lamar Jackson ever did or Deshaun Watson. I have no idea. Maybe somebody else did that. If you are listening and you know of any FBS or even FCS guy that's ever thrown for 500 and rushed for 100, please tell me. But... That was one of the most, and that was a loss to SMU because uh, Tanner Mor- Mordecai had uh, ten touchdowns in that game. That's not too bad. That was that was the all-time record-setting uh, total score in an FBS game. So, and Houston's uh, who's their coach again? Is it Holgerson? I think it is. Right. It's got to be right. If we're wrong about this, we'll uh, we'll just blame. Yeah, it's 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 Holgerson. Yeah. Okay, I was gonna say we'll blame somebody random like Jim Nagy. Yeah, but I mean, 
we've talked about the Holgerson thing. Like he does a great job for like four years, and then all of a sudden he. <laughs> well, but again, they lost that game. <laughs> Right. Well, and that's what I mean is like, so he got he got to Houston. They weren't very good. Four and eight, three and five, then twelve and two last year, and now they're back to six and four. And so but I know the they thing lost. Is, Tune has been outstanding, and this this is a guy Galco has been targeting all year with his tweets. I can tell. And then the other one's Aiden O'Connell, the Purdue uh, quarterback. Here's what's interesting to me. Similar stylistically. I know Tune runs like a little bit more, like you said, but like size, the way they the way they throw the ball, they're kind of similar. Um, and then obviously both coming from those those spread offenses, which most right. teams are now. And O'Connell's um Jeff Brahms, the coach there, right? Yeah. Um O'Connell's a little older. I think he's a year older. I, I'm not hundred percent sure on that. But um they're both the, quarterbacks of six and four teams. Come on now. <laughs> but, well, and the thing is, like, it's not, I want to say this, it's not unusual that guys like Toon and O'Connell would be Shrine Game guys, right? That they are kind of emblematic of the type of quarterback that would go to that game. No, 1,000%, and that's kind but of what. But the thing that blows my mind is that they have already committed to the Shrine Bowl when the one commit to the senior bowl is this guy and I'll let you say this. Yeah. And the, and the one commit is uh Tyson Bagent, ba- Bagent, Bagent, Bagent. That's like agent. And I learned that from the school website. He goes to shepherd. Perfect. Which That's is the... division two. Yeah. That was the, my uh, junior high rival. So there you go. Shepherd. <laughs> but so, Shepherd University was your uh, yeah, middle school. Exactly. Yeah. He holds 27 school records. He's six. They list him at 6'3, 210. Uh-huh. You know, you and I are always wary of these uh, non division yeah, or these non um, group Heck, of five. We're wary of, we're wary oh. of FBS schools listings. Right. And, you know, he he holds 27 school records. He's records for most career touchdown passes in D2. 69% completion percentage, over 16,000 yards, 153 touchdowns, 46 interceptions. Seems like a lot, doesn't it? For, this guy I mean, is he's super prolific, right? There's no question about this. But um, that, remember Antonio Pipkin a few years ago? He went yeah. to Tiffin, and he was one of the six Senior Bowl quarterbacks that year, and it like he never caught on. It it he totally seemed completely like a fish out of water the entire time. It didn't seem like it made sense that he was ever invited. Is this one of those things where is is there an agent involved? And I don't mean that like nobody's. I don't think anybody's like paying. Jim Nagy to invite their guy or anything like that. But the agents can get influential. They can get in your ear. They can say, you know, check this guy out. Check check my guy out. And in this case, you've got a D2 guy. I think Pipkin was a D3 guy. So you've got, um, you know, a, a one step higher. And this guy's way more prolific in terms of, of passing records and everything. Like you said, 27 school records. Ridiculous. Clearly, this this player 
is um, you know playing well way over his head it, at at this level. But here's what you know. The question I posed to you earlier when we were talking about this show, um, I have to imagine that Jim Nagy wants Hendon Hooker, Stetson Bennett. You know he's made it very clear. We talked about it in the hot takes a couple weeks ago. Um, he wants Bennett in his game for whatever reason. Uh, you have to imagine he wants Bo Nix, another former SEC guy, a guy who's played very well for Oregon, and Will Levis. If Will Levis, uh, I believe he's going to be eligible. He's a fifth-year senior at Kentucky, another SEC guy. So that's four more guys plus. Um, Bajant, here are the quarterbacks that are left after that, right? Not counting O'Connell, not counting um, Clayton Toon. Here are some other names that are eligible for these postseason All-Star games. Uh, Michael, Michael Penix Jr., Sam Hartman from Wake Forest, Max Duggan from TCU, undefeated still, Tanner McKee, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, from UCLA, uh, Dylan Gabriel, Sean Clifford, and we know Jim Nagy has an affinity for Penn State quarterbacks. He worked really hard to get Trace McSorley in the game a couple of years ago, and and Sean Clifford, for all his foibles, is probably a better like NFL prospect than Trace McSorley. And then and then Chase Bryce, who was once a four or five star recruit at Clemson, who's who's now like a super super senior at App State, Appalachian State. These are all guys that are probably on Jim Nagy's radar, and he can only pick if he gets his top four choices: Hooker, Stetson, Bennett, Nicks, Levis. That and he's already got this guy, um, Bajan. That only leaves him room for one guy out of that group that I just named. And then the Shrine Bowl gets to scoop up all the rest, right? Yeah, and that'll be what's interesting to see how this folds or unfolds because it does seem like the way that they, or the way that Nagy has gone about it is that he's typically like looks at getting one small school guy and then goes typically pretty southeast heavy. Not maybe not SEC, but just in general, like out of the region. And I know Nix is at Oregon now, but remember he was at Auburn forever. I definitely uh, think Nagy is is going to go hard on Nix. And um, the the one that you know Bennett traditionally, to me, uh, because he's going to be a twenty six year old, and because he's five eleven, one hundred ninety pounds, like that would normally be a shrine bowl guy right going back to the old way that's not galco is not targeting bennett or maybe he is under the you know under the surface but jim Nagy has been explicitly courting stetson bennett for his game and that takes me back you know to to what i just said a few minutes ago he's a ceo he's he's getting he's trying to get names for his game is this have we reached a crossroads here where instead of the the senior bowl being like the premier all-star game is it just more like the um is this like more like an oscars versus golden globes thing 
where you have you have like the premiere award show but it doesn't really it's not going to matter as much when it comes to the draft right um are they going to be start to be first round guys who who choose this the shrine bowl this is a, a debate or not even a debate a conversation you and i have been having since like you said since the shrine bowl moved to vegas but i think it's very interesting already a slot in the premier quote-unquote premier bowl game has gone to a d2 guy and another slot seemingly is there for a guy who probably should be i mean bennett's kind of like an older trace mcsorley right already that slot seems to be filled if stetson bennett takes it so is the shrine bowl gonna end up with better quarterbacks yeah, it'll be interesting to watch as this moves forward because they've definitely upped the ante, so to speak, on how this is going to go down. I mean, trying to make it so people look at the Shrine Bowl as, as a challenger. It, it's not quite an equal yet, but, you know, they're they're working on getting it there, so, so they feel like it. So they've got Toon and O'Connell. Say they get... Say... Uh, Nagy gets Hooker, Bennett, Nix, Levis. So he gets all those guys plus Bajent, plus one more. What's his pick going to be? Maybe let's say um, McKee because we know the NFL likes McKee. That still leaves the Shrine Bowl with Toon, O'Connell, Penix, Dugan, or Duggan, uh, Dylan Gabriel. Dorian Thompson Robinson, like that's and, pretty close. And to Hartman me, that's pretty too. close. What? And Hartman. Oh, right, Hartman, which we know we know from uh, from their tweets that they're high on. Um, so it's the gaps closing in these games. It's something we called um, early on, and I think it's something that's coming to uh, fruition. Couple hot takes on this as we head into it we, we we talked about um the wide receiver class this year with Rasheed rice and and zay flowers um you talked last week that um you know dane brugler mentioned that if um uh, marvin harrison jr was eligible he 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 and he doubled down on that this weekend Marvin Harrison Jr. would be easy wide receiver one in the 2023 NFL draft. Um, but there's a couple emerging takes that I wanted to get your opinion on. Um, I think the first one is, and and I don't know, you remember the crazy uh, NFL draft insider guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably one <laughs> of the first guys I followed on Twitter until – you know, I learned a few things. But so, you know, he, he mentioned Harrison Jr. as well, the most impressive wide receiver prospect since maybe Julio Jones. But I, I'm interested in these guys that are coming up. We talked about Quentin Johnston, um, Pro Football Network, PFN 365 tweeted out, you know, he has 70 plus yards and one TD in his last four games. That was before this weekend. I didn't follow up to see where he was this weekend. They asked the question, is he the wide receiver one in this draft? No. Uh, I mean, 
and and uh pff mike also had i think he had quentin johnson like eighth overall it you know when we did receivers i said i was a con uh, a convert on quentin johnston like he he sold me but anyway go ahead so a new name has emerged and it's it's a name that we've brought up before but the last couple of weeks uh josh downs of north carolina um becoming a little bit more hyped up and and my question is are we seeing this because there's not a marvin harrison jr in this class so it is just kind of a free-for-all right now well we're seeing this too because uh jordan addison who was the Bolitnikov winner last year he's been banged up he hasn't played for a couple weeks uh jackson smith and jigba has not played pretty much all season because of his hamstring injuries quinn johnston got off to a really slow start which we spotlighted and then he's picked up the pace recently um you know i i think marvin harrison jr is a better prospect but uh quentin johnston might actually be the closest thing in this class to a marvin harrison uh jr because he he has the height weight speed um athleticism package around him i think harrison jr has shown more on tape um but again we'll have to wait another year for for him to emerge so um i think that's that's all part of it Uh, and so that's why that's what drives people to make that take they they're trying there there isn't the guys that uh draft thought were going to be clear early first round picks they've not you know like i said because of the injuries they haven't really delivered on that so um and and we talked about Keishon uh Boutte as well not delivering on that so there so so downs and i, I and i think downs to me is he's i don't like he's had a phenomenal four game stretch, right? Right, and that's what I was going to bring up. You think it's just recency bias? It is, but and, and you see it with the quarterback Drake May as well. People are starting to say, well, he would be quarterback one in this class. He's the closest thing to Justin Herbert. Dane Brugler said that last last week. Um, that might be that actually might be true, but um, with Downs. He's still 5'10", 175 pounds. And uh, I don't even think he's as good as Jalen Hyatt, who we've talked about on the show many times. Well, like, so here's here's my thing. So his last four games, as we mentioned, 46 receptions, 548 yards, six touchdowns. Uh, he has four returns for 82 yards on punts as well. So, I mean, mm-hmm. dynamic in two ways. He's a, he's a really good player. But you look at his opponents, Duke. Um, you know, not the terrible Duke that you're used to, but not not anything special this year. Uh, Pitt is down. Um, 
Virginia is down, and Wake Forest has been weirdly down the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know that you know they kind of ran into a an issue, you know, behind Hartman after starting out really well. They've literally lost their last three games uh, against yeah. Louisville, North Carolina State, North Carolina. You know, Virginia is a mess, and um, and uh, unfortunately, even worse off now because of the tragedy that happened yeah and, and um, just off the those... field so but even before that you know yeah. let's clarify even before that they were not having a good good season and and so when we're talking about that you know just for our listeners putting that in perspective yeah and then and like i said Pitt this year is down pretty hard uh with narduzzi i mean have you looked at Pitt's numbers man uh, Keaton, honestly, Keaton, I've just mostly Slovis has six touchdown passes on the year. That's you know, their their running back, Izzy Abanaconda, who we did spotlight on uh, our running back show on Patreon, is having a very good year, but yeah, otherwise, Pitt is is, is definitely it, it kind of puts in perspective how good Kenny Pickett was as a college quarterback. Right. But I just think that when there's not a when there's not a clear cut guy um like there is with uh you know Marvin Harrison Jr. or a couple years ago like there was with, with Jamar Chase, who even, you know, people got bored with him, you've got you've got uh you're just gonna get a wave of guys as as the season goes along and like we talked about Quentin Johnston was was super hot um over the last five weeks Josh Downs has been super hot so now all of a sudden it's it's kosher to put them as your like top wide receiver guys and I just think that like Downs is very good he he's small he's fast he's a sub 4-4 guy but Hyatt is a little bit bigger and faster and I think Downs, you know, we did our top five, and I don't think Downs was in uh, either of our top five, right? No. But Hyatt was, um, Quentin Johnston was, we still, you know, I, I was still very high on Jordan Addison. And all of that, it, look, in recent years, Josh Downs, if if he's like wide receiver seven, he's still a day two pick, <laughs> right? And there's nothing wrong with that. He he's a he's a sub four four guy. It's kind of like Marvin Mims uh, from Oklahoma, who's, who's not having as prolific a year, but um, he's still going to be a four four uh, or sub four four guy and still go in that day two range. So look, these guys are still going to get a huge opportunities and. Um, you don't have to prop them up and say that they're. You don't have to take these uh, stretches and say that oh, this guy's uh, wide receiver one. But it it specifically when it comes to downs, what I'm more in tune to is the Drake May hype. Because now, uh, people like Dane are saying uh, that he would have been the quarterback one this year. Perfect. I kind of agree. <laughs> I kind of agree. 
Yeah, I mean, we just need more. Uh, we we do, um, and you know, it's some of it is uh, is player fatigue too. Um, I, you know, I'll throw this out here, and as we close out things tonight, but um, what if what if CJ Stroud doesn't declare this year? I kind of, I mean, I almost think that that would benefit him. Um, because he has some stuff to work on and then it would really throw everything into chaos as far as this year's quarterback class and next year's. So I don't know, just throwing it out there. It really would. And it'd be interesting to see how that goes down. Um, anything else before we get out of here? No, thanks to our listeners. Um, uh, we'll be, uh, as always, we'll be doing a bonus episode later this week on Patreon. If it, you subscribe to us on Patreon for two bucks a month, you get all the bonus episodes, probably a few articles you can find there too, um, because we've uh, thrown thrown a few of those onto the two dollar uh, tier. But if you're a generational patron, then you get all of our content, which includes weekly articles on Monday and Thursday or Friday by both of us and also all of our bonus episodes. And that's also going to include once we get into the nitty gritty, it's going to include all our rankings and stuff like that. So, yeah. And we appreciate everybody that subscribes. Thanks for listening tonight. We'll be back later this week with another episode of the original draft breakdown podcast for you. Patreons. Have a good night, everybody. We need to do an outro at some point. That just something kind of what I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's two dollars a month for our bonus episodes. Four dollars a month for all additional content. Something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right a, there. A read. Yeah. That's it. Right there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>